Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we're going to be focusing in on verses 13 to 18 today as we continue on in our series in Thessalonians that we've entitled Upside Down. And as you turn there and as you get there in your copy of God's Word, just want to get us up to speed this morning on how we got here and what's been going on to this point uh, in the letter that we've been examining that Paul the Apostle wrote and the encouragement that the believers would have received in receiving this letter from Paul. We recognize earlier on in the letter, Paul was commending these believers Uh, this church in Thessalonica, he was encouraging them and he was telling them how much of an encouragement they were to him. Uh, They had a testimony amongst those in Thessalonica in the surrounding areas that their testimony in the Lord Jesus Christ was so impactful and so recognized that Acts chapter 17 tells us that the men and women in this area that were ministering the gospel were described as turning the world upside down and through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's quite a way to be described as turning the world up side down. And Paul's going to commend them in the first half of this letter for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were living out the gospel that they had received. Uh, Paul even makes mention to them that their understanding of the word of God was authoritative, that they recognized that what they heard were not just words from men, but the word of God was effectively working in their lives as believers. And so he commends them for that. He encourages them for that. Uh, At the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, Paul gives a little bit of an inside look at what was going on in his own heart, in his own mind, as it relates to concern for these believers prior to his writing this letter. He says at the end of chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, that he desired to come to these believers, really to to check in on them and to encourage them in their faith. He was concerned for their well-being as new believers, that they would be swayed or that they would be tempted uh, and that they would be pulled away from their faith in serving the Lord in the gospel. And Paul wanted to come to them, he says, time and time again, but Satan hindered him from coming to them directly. And so in chapter 3, we read that Paul, when he couldn't stand it any longer, he says uh, he sent Timothy, his brother and co-worker in the gospel, to visit these believers in Thessalonica. And Timothy went to them to encourage them in their faith and also to bring report back to Paul about how they were doing. And so in chapter 3, we read that Paul would say, Timothy has now come back. Again, this is all pre-Paul writing this letter. Timothy returned to to, uh, Paul and gave a great testimony of what was going on in the lives of these believers in Thessalonica. And Paul said, we have been encouraged and we have been comforted by what we have heard concerning you and your faith. We've been encouraged and we have been comforted that you are following Christ that you are making Christ known, that the gospel is sounding forth from your lives. And they were encouraged and comforted in that. Now, in the midst of all that Paul has been sharing here in this letter, affirming them and encouraging them, Paul has also been very consistent in his letter to remind them and to warn them of the affliction 
and persecution and hardships that they would endure and that they already are enduring as believers in Christ. He makes mention of it from the very outset that when they received the gospel, he says, you welcomed it in the midst of much affliction, in the midst of persecution, in trials, in the midst of much affliction, you received the word of God. Uh, In the early church, when people would identify as following Jesus Christ, what that would be inviting into their lives was persecution. Similar to how it is in other parts of the world today. To publicly identify yourself as leaving your past beliefs and past religious beliefs or system that you were a part of and identifying publicly as a follower of Jesus Believers around the world today in doing that are putting a mark on their heads for persecution. And some of them even a mark on their lives for their very living because they will be persecuted so severely. Well, very similarly in the early church, as they would dedicate themselves to Jesus Christ, as they would publicly proclaim they follow Christ, and as they would proclaim the gospel, they would not count their lives as dear to themselves, but rather only to be used for the glory of God. And so many were suffering affliction during this period of time. Many were thrown into prison. Many had lost their lives or were threatening to lose their lives. And Paul was reminding these believers, listen, you received God's word in much affliction. You are ministering in the midst of much affliction. Do not grow weary. Do not grow discouraged, but continue. Last week we looked at do what you're doing more and more, Paul says. And so all of that has been shared to this point. All of that to this point has been shared on the part of Paul. And so let's process this for a minute. If you're the believers in Thessalonica that have received the word of God and that the word of God that you received has caused much persecution and affliction to come into your lives. And yet here you hear from Paul the apostle, someone that you looked at in such a dear way that was so valuable and important to you that you looked at as your model as your example to follow. And he now is penning a letter that he's encouraging you. And he's saying, hey, keep going in your relationship with Christ. Press on in your faith. Abound more and more in your love for one another, in your witness and testimony to those that are on the outside watching. Press on. Don't grow weary because of the affliction that you're enduring. Don't grow discouraged because you even hear of the affliction that I, Paul, am enduring. Press on. Be encouraged. That's what you're receiving and that's what you're hearing. And that brings us to verses 13 to 18 this morning. Now I love this passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18 because it speaks of the coming of our Savior, Jesus. Now, when it comes to eschatology, which is the study of end times, doctrine of end times, there are a lot of varying viewpoints on what is described as the rapture of the church. Uh, This particular passage is a main passage for that understanding and belief in the rapture of the church. The word rapture itself does not appear in Scripture, but the understanding that we will be called up called away to be with the Lord is very clearly taught. And some believe that the calling up of the church, the rapture of the church, happens at various 
points of times eschatologically in the, in the process of end times and how that will play out. Today, for the purposes of our passage in the series, we are not going to try to focus in on when as far as in the time period that this happens, but the reality that this will happen, okay? We can have fellowship around the reality of the promise of the coming of Jesus, Now here's why I don't feel this morning it's necessary to so much focus on that timeline because I believe Paul, in writing this particular section of verses, he's not writing it in the context of a letter that is primarily focused on end times. Paul's writing this particular portion of this letter in the context of the encouragement and instruction that he's wanting to continue giving the believer in Thessalonica. And so no doubt when Timothy would have brought back report to Paul that these believers were encouraged and that they were living out their faith, he also would bring back to Paul any concerns or questions that these believers would have as well. And I believe that's what we're going to see in the passage today Paul is going to address He's going to seek to encourage them with the coming of the Lord. He's going to seek to uh, encourage them with some of the concerns that they had. And that's what we want to focus in on this morning. So look at the passage with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Let's pause for a moment. When Paul references in this passage those who are asleep, he's speaking of those who have died, those that have passed in this life that know Christ as Savior. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those that have died, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, understand, Paul's writing a letter, and the context of this letter is to write by way of encouragement and instruction, by way of commendation for them, because they were honoring and living for the Lord. And here, he is going to give them encouragement as it relates specifically to something that to this point in time they felt uninformed about. Something to this point in time was even a source of anxiety and worry for them as believers. And Paul addresses that. He says in verse 13, We do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be without information here. We don't want you to not know what's going on or what is about to happen. And specifically, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died. Here's again why I feel like this is not primarily something that Paul is just trying to address end time matters. Because he says we don't want you to be uninformed, not about end times. He says we don't want you to be uninformed about what? about those who are asleep, 
about those who have died. There was this clear question that these believers had about the people that they loved and cared for who knew Christ that had already passed, that had already died. And there was sorrow there, and there was a lack of hope they were feeling, and a lack of joy they were feeling, and not knowing how to handle that. Because the, the early church, even as we today, church, anticipated and were looking forward to the coming of Jesus. If you remember at the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus would ascend to the Father, those that were looking on heard that in the same manner that you see him go, he will come again. Jesus would say this himself, that he's coming back. And and so the church longed for that day. They were waiting for that day. They anticipated that day. And, And they anticipated it with great joy. Jesus is coming. And so while they were anticipating that, and they had great joy in that, as I hope you do, you can imagine why if they felt uninformed when a loved one that knew Christ would pass, there was discouragement because they thought, man, they're not going to be here for the coming of the Lord. They're not going to see him come. They're not going to join with him when he comes because they have passed. And, And you can understand why that would be extremely discouraging. Why that would be a reason that they would sorrow and weep, even as we'll see in the passage, some were weeping and sorrowing who had no hope. They were longing for the coming of the Lord. They believed in the coming of the Lord. And yet their loved ones who had passed, they wondered, what about them? So you understand what Paul's doing here now? He's bringing a source of encouragement and information. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. And here's why this is so relevant and important for us today, because uh, we're going to look at some truths this morning that are just as relevant for us today as it was for them then. But maybe you're here today and you have lost someone that knows Christ, that they've passed. There's incredible encouragement for you and I today that anyone that we love that we care and that we miss and we long to be with and and they've passed and, and the encouragement we have in Christ is that in Christ, they will be a part of this day. There's great encouragement in that. There's great joy in that. And it would be the same for these believers then as it is for you and I as believers today. So let me just share four truths that Paul is going to proclaim to them in this passage today and and then maybe some responses that we can take. Number one, here's truth number one. Christ is coming back. Would you say that with me? Christ is coming back. Amen? Uh, What a great day that is going to be. We are encouraged and hope in that promise that Christ is coming back. This whole section, this whole section speaks of the coming of the Lord. And, and what I love about this is that Paul is, is recognizing the truth that Christ is coming back, and it's never in question for the believers that he's trying to encourage here as to whether or not Christ is coming back. They believed it. They held on to that truth. And so he's not trying to convince them here that Christ is coming. Now he speaks of his coming. And he speaks of what's going to happen when he comes. And he speaks about how the events are going to unfold. And he tells them that. But he speaks, it's just a given. This is happening. Christ is coming. He says, just as we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who are asleep. This is just as much a fact as his death, burial, and resurrection is a fact. Just as Jesus died according to the scriptures, was buried according to the scriptures, was raised again according to the scriptures, he is coming back according to the scriptures. There's certainty in this. Jesus is coming back. And so every day that you and I live this life, we have the encouragement to know Christ is coming back again. Jesus said in John chapter 14, we've referenced that passage a couple times even in this series in Thessalonians where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, Would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Jesus is telling them, I am coming back. I will come again. Those are straight words from the mouth of Jesus that he says, this is my promise. I will come again. There's great certainty in this. There's great expectation in this. It serves as an incredible encouragement today, and it also serves as a sobering reminder today. It's an incredible encouragement for those that long to see this life, this world, the struggles of this life in this world come to an end. How many times have you heard, even more recently, people talk about, oh, Lord, come. How many of you ever said that more recently? Like, I hope Jesus comes now, today, tomorrow. Let it happen. Maranatha, right? Which means, Lord, come quickly. We want him to come. Why? Because there's great certainty and encouragement that Christ is coming back. There is coming a day, a point in time, when sin will cease, sorrow, sickness, death will cease That he will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain and sorrow. What an incredible encouragement that is. But it's also a sobering reminder that Jesus is coming back. And it could be today. This afternoon, when we go about doing whatever it is we're going to do, Christ could come back this afternoon. What will we be preoccupied with? What will we be occupying our minds, our hearts, our hands, our bodies with when Christ returns? Because it can happen now, in these next moments. It's a sobering reminder. And it's a sobering thought because not only as a believer in Christ, how will we be prepared for his coming? How are you prepared for his coming But if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you could stand before him so soon to give an account. And I have to ask you this morning, are you prepared for that moment? Do you know him as Savior? Will you stand before him guiltless because of his sacrifice, because of your faith in Christ alone as your savior. It's a sobering thought. It's a it's an encouraging reminder, but it's a sobering thought that he is coming again it can be at any moment. What will we be occupied with? You know, really there are two types of individuals uh, as it relates to believers in Christ. 
when it comes to the coming of Christ and what we are finding ourselves doing in response to the coming of Christ. And even today, if you're here and you don't know Christ as Savior, what will you be occupied with? I think of it in regards to coming into my... When I come home from being away and my daughters have something that they've been doing, whether artwork or something that they did that they can't wait to show me and they can't wait to hear the car drive into the driveway and they'll be looking out the window waiting for me to come home because they can't wait for me to come home because they want to show me or tell me what it is they're so excited. So they are asking, when are you coming home? When are you coming home? Then when you're finally there waiting at the window or waiting at the door and then you walk in and they are just so excited. That should be the way that you and I as believers are longing, anticipating and waiting for the coming of the Lord. On the opposing side is my dog who gets in the garbage. And I've shared about this before. But I'll be home and my dog will be getting in the garbage if I'm in the other room and I'll hear it. And so I'll go over to the, to the kitchen area and I'll peek my head around and I'll watch her and she's getting in the garbage and she doesn't know I'm watching her and I'll yell at her and she'll jump and go sprinting and running off because she's completely caught off guard and surprised that I even have any knowledge of what she was doing in that moment. I don't want to be that way at the coming of the Lord. I want to be anticipating waiting, longing, excited that my Savior is coming. Where do we fall on that, on that scale? Where do we fall on that? Are you ready, waiting, and desiring, or are you completely unaware, completely not anticipating, completely unaware and not even desiring his coming? It should desire or be a desire of the heart of the believer in Christ, a longing in the heart of the believer in Christ to be waiting and watching for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. He is coming back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 to 53, Paul the Apostle said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we all shall be changed. The perishable body will put on the imperishable. The mortal body will put on immortality. We will raise from the dead and be united with the Lord. This whole idea and understanding of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of certainty. It's one of permanence. It's one that affects and influences our mindset on all of eternity. And it is coming. And there's great encouragement in that. Secondly, his coming offers hope. Not only is Christ coming again, but his coming offers hope. And really that's what Paul's doing here in explaining this. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. Listen, there are two categories of individuals when it comes to death and the death of a loved one. There are those that are living and walking in this life without hope and who have no hope. And there are those that are living and walking in this life that do have hope. You and I as believers in Christ should be always in the category as those that have hope. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Why? About those who have died. What about it? That you don't act and live as those that have no hope do. That's not you. We have better things to concern our minds with concerning eternity than the questions, anxieties, and worries of those that have no hope. And he goes on to tell them why. Verse 14, For since 
We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We declare this to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So let me explain this whole process of what the rapture or the calling up of the church will look like that Paul's describing here. Because there was a concern on the part of these believers, again, that were anticipating and waiting about their loved ones that had passed, about those they cared about that had passed and were dead. Well, Paul's saying here, listen, Jesus is going to come. The trumpet of God, the voice of the archangel, he's going to call us up. But he says, those who are still alive, remaining on earth, that know Christ, they are not going to be called up before those that have died. Here's the encouragement and hope that he gives, is those that have died in Christ they first will be raised. Their bodies will be raised. There will be a resurrection of the dead, that those that have died will be raised up and called up to meet the Lord. They will precede those that are still alive. And so here's why this is such an encouraging thing. It would be one thing if he was like, listen, don't be discouraged because just like you're going to raise up to meet the Lord in the air, those that have died before, they'll be there too. They'll come up too. But he says they're going to be there before you. So when the Lord comes back, if you're not still alive and you've passed, you will be raised just as Christ's body was raised from the dead. So too our bodies will be raised from the dead to meet the Lord in the air. The perishable will put on the imperishable. This is where we would have our understanding of a glorified, resurrected body that we will have for all of eternity. That the material, the body, the flesh that will be destroyed, that is in the ground, that would be decaying, will be raised from the dead and put on imperishable, resurrected bodies that are imperishable, immortal, that will be with the Lord for all of eternity. And Paul's encouragement here is that those that have passed, they will not miss this. They will join us in this. Don't be uninformed, he says. Don't be as those who have no hope. There's coming a day when all of that, all of that will take place and all of the hardship and all of the pain and all of the sorrow will come to a point of end. And even though it's hard to see it and anticipate it and understand it, it will eventually come. It will come. And so this is why it was so important last week where Paul is telling them what you're doing, do it more and more. Listen, keep doing what God has called you to do because there is coming a day, a promised day when all of the things of this world will fade away and we'll be with the Lord. Uh, I think of it in regards to, um, you know, anticipation of the, the trouble and difficulty and sorrow coming to an end and a, and a day that's coming when things will be different. Uh, I, I love when um, staff members are going to have uh, a baby, a newborn, and um, it's, it's always encouraging and something that everybody just is excited about and rejoices with them. And one of the things I love is on staff meetings we have on Tuesday mornings at 8 is sitting in staff meeting and when one of our staff members has a newborn at home and they come into staff meeting like right at the last second and it looks like maybe they, they are just not having a lot of uh, success sleeping uh, because they've been up most of the night. I love that because I'm not in that stage anymore. So I like it when I see them. I'm like, hey, how was sleep last night? Because they have a newborn at home. And you could tell that they have been up. I know it's cruel. It's terrible. But I, I kind of like, 
you know, I'm like, it's about time someone else has to do this now because I don't have to. And, and so I'm like, hey, didn't get much sleep last night. And they're like, no. And they're like, is there ever going to be a time when we actually get to sleep through the night again? Well, the answer to that is yes, right? There's coming a day when if you have a newborn and you're going through that right now, listen, there's coming a time where you'll be able to get restful sleep again. Uh, that, that you have to, you know, go through the process, but it's coming. But during that time, as someone who gets to sleep and someone who just gets to enjoy sleep and feel refreshed, uh, it's encouraging to poke a little bit of fun and mess a little bit because I was there, I had to do that before. But uh, the encouragement that I always give to, to, to parents that are like, does it ever end as far as the waking up at 1 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock and not getting to sleep is yes, eventually you're going to find yourself sleeping through the night again and you will have that restful, peaceful sleep. So it is coming. And there's something encouraging about certainty, about something coming to a point, an end that is hard and something that is enjoyable that will be continually enjoyable. And, and, and that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's encouraging him with his understanding He's told them already in this letter, you're going to have affliction. You've already had it. You're going to be persecuted. You're already being persecuted. Some of you will even be persecuted to the point of death, and they've already died. But be encouraged, because there's coming a day when Christ will return, and all of that will not matter anymore. The dead will be raised. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. And we will be with the Lord. It's an incredible encouragement. It's an incredible encouragement that should stir us. It should stir us in our relationship with Christ. Again, in, in John chapter 14, 1 to 3, Jesus starts off in reference to his coming, described in John with these words, Let not your hearts be what? troubled don't be troubled there's hope don't be troubled there's certainty don't be troubled because we have his promise let not your hearts be troubled in first corinthians 15 that passage that we referenced earlier paul says but we shall all be changed this is it every this includes every believer in christ we shall all be changed. Those that have died in Christ, those that are still living at his coming in Christ, we shall all be changed. There's great encouragement. His coming offers great hope. Number three, our eternity is secure. Christ is coming. His coming offers hope. And number three, our eternity is secure. In verses 16 and 17, at the end of verse 17, is one of those, those phrases in this verse that is you know, bulletin board worthy. It's, it's bathroom mirror worthy to look at every single day. It's dashboard of your car, bumper sticker worthy, where he talks about in verses 16 and 17, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Here it is, last part, verse 17, you know, this is the verse that should cause you and I to get goosebumps when we read it, to put a smile on our face when we read it and proclaim it. And so, say it with me, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. There's such amazing security and encouragement in this. 
For this reality and this understanding that although this life will come to an end, although this world as we know it will come to an end, although all of the things that we're familiar with in this life will come to an end that are perishing, there is coming a day that we will be with the Lord. And when that happens, there will never be an end to it. That we forever will be with the Lord. Our eternity is secure. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your eternity is secure. There is coming a day. And when that day comes, there will be no end to it. That we will forever be with the Lord. In John chapter 14, again, uh, these three passages in John 14 and 1 Thessalonians 4 and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, all speaking about the Lord and his coming and the reality of his coming, that Jesus said in John 14, the end of those verses, that where I am, you may be also, that we will be there also with him continually. Continually. That where I am, there you may be also. We will forever be with the Lord, and there's no end to that. That's incredible. I mean, it's, again, it should cause a smile to be on our face when we just talk about that. Because we will forever be with the Lord. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul's reminding again about the dead will be raised imperishable. We will all be changed. The perishable will put on the imperishable. The mortal will put on immortality. Well, why is that necessary? Why does it have to be imperishable? Why does it have to be immortality? Because there's never a point of an end to the life that we will have in the presence of Christ. Our eternity is secure. There should be extreme joy in that reality. And do you know the believer in Jesus Christ, the one who knows Christ as Savior and believes in Christ as Savior, is the only person that can walk this earth with the absolute certainty and hope of eternal life and know for certain that that is what awaits us, that when this life ends, that our eternity begins and we will forever be in his presence. Our eternity is secure. And number four, our encouragement should be constant. Christ is coming back. That's truth. His coming offers hope, absolute truth. Our eternity is secure, such a vital truth, and our encouragement should be constant. Verse 18, as Paul wraps up this particular line of thinking and thought in this book, in this letter, he says, therefore, therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, it's an opportunity to pause and, and kind of reflect and read again of what was just shared, right? So he says, therefore, in light of what I've just told you, in light of what I've just explained, remember he said in verse 13, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those that have fallen asleep in Jesus, that you would not sorrow as those who have no hope. I don't want you to be uninformed, so let me inform you. Paul informs them. He informs us. Don't worry about those that have passed, that those that have died in Christ. Let me inform you of something. Jesus is coming. His coming is something that you can have great hope and encouragement in because the dead in Christ will rise first and you and I will join them. If we die before the coming of the Lord, when he comes, we're not going to miss it. We're going to be joining together with those that know Christ and join with him in the air. In light of all of this, therefore, in light of the fact that we will forever be with the Lord, that they will forever be with the Lord, in light of that, he says, encourage 
one another with these words. Are there any greater words of encouragement than the truth that Paul has just proclaimed? That Jesus is coming. That we will be with him. That we will be with him forever. So it is true for everyone who knows and believes in Jesus Christ, whether they have died or are still alive at his coming. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Our encouragement should be constant. Our encouragement should be constant. We live in view of Christ coming back. We live in view of the hope that we know and have because he's coming again. We live and are encouraged because our eternity is secure. Now listen, here's what's amazing about this is Paul gives a very specific challenge. In the midst of all of these verses, there's really no challenge that Paul has given until verse 18. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, so let me inform you about all of these things. And then he just shares with them truth, right? He shares with them truth. Christ is coming. His coming brings hope that there's certainty in our eternity. Everything's secure, but there's no real now do this until verse 18. Verse 18 is where Paul gives the challenge here. And what is the challenge? Encourage one another with these words. You and I as believers in Jesus Christ, in view of the return of Christ, have a responsibility to be obedient to this challenge of encouraging one another with these words. Almost as though as believers in Christ, we need to serve as like fact checkers for each other when we would grow discouraged or weary as we live in this life. That it's my responsibility and your responsibility as a believer in Christ to turn and encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. That's his challenge. That in view of the return of Jesus, be encouraged. That in view of the return of Jesus, we should have a constant sense of hope, joy, security, and encouragement. Encourage one another with these words. How do we do that? Well, I do, we do that as we remind one another of the promises of Christ. We do that as we remind one another that no matter how bad this life seems to get, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. We do that when we lose someone that we love. When sickness or disease, tragedy strikes, we encourage one another with these words, that those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will be raised imperishable. We do this as we face persecution and suffering and anguish in this life because we will put on the imperishable and we will forever be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. As we close this morning, let me just quickly close by giving a few challenges in light of all that we've read this morning. And these will just be quick so jot them down or snap a picture if you want them. Here's, here's the encouragement this morning. One, be ready. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. Be ready. Be prepared. Secondly, be watching. Be ready. Be watching. 
And I think even in regards to that be ready and watching, what kind of encompasses both of those, this isn't on the screen, is to be longing, right? To be ready and to be watching. Is there a longing for the coming of the Lord? Be ready. Be ready because he can come at any moment. Be watching because he can come even today. Number three, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Find your hope in the promises of Christ. Be hopeful at his coming. Be confident. As you live for Christ, as you proclaim Jesus, as you proclaim the gospel, be confident in the truth that you know to be true. Be confident that Christ is coming again. Be confident that our eternity is secure. Be confident in the promises of God and be encouraged. Be encouraged and encourage one another daily because he is coming back and we will be with him. Be ready, be watchful, be hopeful, be confident, be encouraged. All of these promises from our God that should cause you and I as believers to be stirred to action in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope that's encouraging this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. God, thank you for the absolute certainty that we have with 100% certainty that Jesus Christ is coming back. There's coming a day when the trumpet of God shall sound with the voice of an archangel that our Savior Jesus Christ will appear and call us unto himself, that where he is we may be also, that we will forever, for all of time, be with the Lord. And we want to encourage one another today with these words. Help us to go from here as those that are encouraged, as those that are hopeful, as those that are rejoicing that our Savior is coming again. For your glory and for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.